As I walked on through Chatham Street, a fair maid I did meet. She asked me to see her home, she looked in bleak, straight to me away. Sandy, my dear Annie, oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? The Long Haul Podcast, America's Irish Voice. Interviews with inspiring immigrants, renowned Irish personalities, and discussions on all things Irish America. Presented by Michael Dorgan and Johnny Kennedy. If that building goes, you'll never get to experience Irish America in the way that so many people have and, and feel that pride of walking up Fifth Avenue and seeing this, this building that's so just majestic, as I say, and tells the story even by looking at it. On this week's show, we discussed the controversial move to sell the American Irish Historical Society's headquarters on Fifth Avenue. The Society announced the sale of the property in late January, much to the shock of the Irish American community. The building, which has been home to the Society for decades, is on the market for $52 million and houses a library and research facility with thousands of rare Irish books and documents. News of the sale has generated headlines from both sides of the Atlantic and the Irish government has described it as a deeply disappointing development. The society has drawn much criticism over the last few years, particularly in 2019, when a number of board members and staff were removed from the organisation. Two such people include former board chairman Brian McCabe and former events and marketing coordinator Sophie Colgan, both of whom join me on this week's show. Brian and Sophie drafted an online petition recently to stop the sale of the building and appeal for a change in the society's governance. It has gained nearly 6,000 signatures. Sophie also wrote a heartfelt appeal on the Irish Echo to stop the sale, which has received widespread praise and elevated the sale to become a major talking point among everyday Irish Americans. In the interest of balance, I have invited a representative from the society onto the show to give their point of view. They have so far declined the offer through a spokesperson. Sophie, I'd like to add, has just launched her own podcast called Navigating New York, where she chats to guests about their professional and personal journeys in New York City. The podcast is on all major streaming platforms, and you can find out more on the show's Instagram page, navigating underscore New York. Brian and Sophie kicked off the show discussing their own backgrounds and the work they did for the society. We then moved on to discuss the history of the society and then delve deeper into why the building is for sale and what hurdles the sale may face. Thanks for coming on to the Long Haul Podcast, guys. Um, Brian, we'll start with you. Could you give us a quick background on uh, yourself, what you do and your role with the uh, American Irish Historical Society um, going back over the last couple of years? Well, I, I've been involved in the society for a number of years, for, for, uh, for the, uh, many years, actually, prior to uh, 2019, October 2019, when I was uh, deposed as chair um, after a series of um, firings and depositions to restructure the board and the, uh, the function of the society. Um, I'm retired. I was a detective commander in, with the NYPD, and currently I am responsible for uh, a, a multiple hospital system for the security and, uh, and emergency operations in that, in that right. system. Okay. Uh, what's your um, Irish heritage? Um, I come from the 33rd County, Brooklyn, a family <laughs> of uh, 12 of us uh, grew up together there with a, a great history. Um, my roots in Ireland would go to Leitrim. Um, my mom's people would be from Cork, and we have uh, we have connections elsewhere as well, up in Derry. 
But uh, actually, I am indeed uh, an Irish American uh, in the sense that uh, I was born here. I'm a Native American. I um, had um, we've been here for multiple generations, although in preserving our heritage in each generation, we've had um, new Irish immigrants marry into our crowd. I have a very, very large um, family and extended family. and uh, we have a very, very long history. I mean, on one branch of my family, I could go, we could go back to famine immigrants and American Civil War participants and such, you know. Were your parents um, born in Ireland? Both of them born here okay. in the United States, yes, okay. particularly in New York City, Brooklyn. Okay, very good. And what, what got you involved in the American Irish Historical Society and when did you first get involved? Well, um, similar to Sophie and thousands upon thousands of others, I, I guess I first became aware of the society as a young fella, um, uh, first going into Manhattan and seeing that there was such a building there. I'll let Sophie speak more because she was so eloquent in her, uh, her letter about what that, what that meant. But that, that is kind of a, a very resonant thing for many of us. We saw that building there um, and uh, coming from working class uh, backgrounds and all, we saw that it was a, truly was something representative of all of us and our success. Um, and, and then through the years, marching past it year after year uh, in the parade, which, which used, to, used to proceed past, um, I was very intrigued by it. Um, we'll go into a bit later, um, because this is the intro, we'll go into, we'll go into kind of the, the dynamic there where it was such an attractive building to, to, to masses of people, but at the same time, it wasn't as open as perhaps it could be. Ultimately, though, they opened their doors to me. I became friendly with one of the people who were involved there, who worked there uh, in an executive position and who was related intimately with the, with the governing body. Um, and and I, I just want to preface this. I, I really don't want to personalize this. I want to speak to this as the institutional issue because I, I feel it would do a disservice to people. There are issues we might have to be concerned about with future litigation, perhaps. So uh, I'm, I'm not trying to be, um, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to avoid issues, but I feel that if we talk in concepts and if we talk about the institution and we don't personalize it, it's perhaps best for all. And I don't want to deride individuals either. Okay, so we'll talk. You understand. So, so that's how I got my entree to the to the society. I, I helped out as best I could. Um, I have a certain um, uh, my, myself and my family being involved as we work for so long in the city and in various aspects of the city. Um, we 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 do have uh, many many connections, um, and I was invited to join the board. Uh, and then ultimately was made chairman. There were two issues. One was the parade. They had cut the parade down and they were trying, they, they, I was approached in that perhaps my good officers would be beneficial in getting the parade route extended. And we were getting incrementally successful in doing that. Um, uh, as well as we were, we were, or I was told that um, we were entering into a new, a, a, a new phase of the society where there would be some type of transition and we would be seeing kind of a new, uh, a new view to the future and leave some of the, some of the um, less welcoming aspects behind us. And so I, I agreed to participate and to use whatever influence I could get, to, I could to further the mission, the stated mission of the society and to try to help to get the parade extended and to, and to grow our brand. Okay, perfect. We, we'll discuss a bit more of that in, in a second. But your time with the MIPD, was it in Manhattan you were based? Or tell us, give us a brief uh, backdrop. Into, well, 
life as a Generally, yes. I mean, I was born in Brooklyn and raised in Queens and lived in every borough at some point. But my professional career well, mostly was in was in Manhattan. I spent the, the, the vast majority of the years I spent on the job uh, in the detective bureau. Uh, I rose to the ranks of uh, detectives. Uh, okay. I, I ended up commanding the Manhattan South Homicide Squad. And that being the case, major cases that occurred in Manhattan we were not um, confined to Manhattan. We, we actually would go following investigations throughout the city and frankly, uh, throughout the country. I traveled a lot on major cases for the city. And we, we also dealt internationally at times. But my, my, my base was in Manhattan. Uh, my command was in Manhattan. And um, the world was my playground. <laughs> Okay, very good, Brian. Moving on to Sophie. Sophie, thanks very much for coming on. You've been uh, just, I just looking at your profile, success over the last couple of years has been unbelievable. In case people don't know, Sophie, let's start off with the most important thing, the football. County <laughs> yes. final winner last year with Manhattan Gales. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, your, your better half, your other, well, we won't say better half, your other half, yeah, uh, Brian is. was a county medal winner last year with Hoboken in the hurling. Yeah. And um, congratulations to both of you. You're you. recently engaged, so fantastic on that. And just <laughs> just so people are aware of Sophie's commitment to this uh, endeavor with the American Irish Historical Society, we're recording on Valentine's Day, and she's taking time out of Valentine's <laughs> Day to be with us today. So, t- Sophie, thanks very, very much for coming on. Oh, Michael, thanks so much. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just want to, we, of course, we want to mention last couple of weeks, you uh, released your brand new podcast, Navigating New York. Uh, it's got a. I've been following it there online. It's got a gr- got great feedback. Give us a little insight onto onto the feedback from that, the reaction to that, and give us a just a general overview of the the concept behind it. Oh sure. Well, thanks so much, Michael, for saying that. Um, yeah, the podcast Navigating New York. I just started it in January. It's an idea I've had for a long time that actually kind of spurred from my time working at the American Irish Historical Society. Um, I was there for four years as events and marketing coordinator and you know was in a very privileged position to be able to curate events and and start series and and have people in artists musicians writers and um i started actually a program called success in the city at the american irish historical society and the, the name gives it away but i talked to people who i felt were successful in different industries in new york and you know like all of us and like yourself you know i really identify with being a storyteller and I think there's just so many stories to be told from Irish people in New York who've paved their way here. And I have felt, you know, great comfort and great encouragement from the people I've got to meet in my six and a half years here. So I guess Navigate New York came about from, you know, that experience I've had. And um, I, I guess just like you and everyone else, you know, podcasts have become such a, an important part of of our education almost, you know, and self-improvement. So, and I was just flat out listening to them since March. And I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll give it a go. And I've only, I've only released three. I've a fourth one coming this week. Um, I'm really enjoying it. You learn something. I know you like you, you and I could probably talk all day about it. It's time consuming, it's challenging, but it's really rewarding. And the guests I've had on 
which, you know, ironically, everyone I've had on so far, I connected with that person at the American Irish Historical Society okay. in some way, shape or form. Like my guest this week is John Duddy. The first time I met John Duddy was when he was doing a play reading in 2015. And I was like, is that the Derry Destroyer? Like here he was in this Manhattan uh, museum and event space, you know, acting. And I got to you know connect with him and then you know this is five years later and I'm able to ask him on to a podcast to talk about his journey so I know I know it's it, people like him and and you know podcasts are definitely a, a great way for you know reflection and, and self-improvement so yeah it's been exciting and um, I'm looking forward to sort of continuing with it and I'm in great company with the long haul podcast so that's brilliant <laughs> yeah we'll bounce off each other for sure <laughs> yeah. so where, where, can, where, where can people pick up the the podcast it's, a, it's on iTunes yeah uh, Spotify exactly Spotify it's on Apple Podcasts it's on Google Podcasts it's on if you, if you go on to Navigating New I don't have a website but it's all on my Instagram page if you sort of type in Navigating New York into any of your platforms okay. you should find it there okay and how, how's it been going uh, I know from my own point of view it's a lot of trial and error went into this podcast <laughs> oh definitely you know I actually got a bit of help um with a guy I know who has a podcast. His name's Dave Lewis. He's a young Irish American guy. You might've met him before he hurls for Hoboken and okay. he has a podcast called Cinema Millennials. It's all about um, like old films. And he, he sat me down one day, we did a Skype call and he taught me how to edit. And you know, he had serious patience with me. Um, and I actually met him through the American Irish Historical Society as well, which is funny, but um, yeah, I, I guess every time you do it, you learn <coughs> something. I've, I've really learned how often I say um and ah and all of those little stutters, you know. Um, and I think what people mightn't realize is the research that you have to do before, you know, getting somebody to give you an hour or two of their time. You don't want to be wasting their time, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's it's learn as you go, definitely. And yeah, it's it's enjoyable, though. And I think um, I think, you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And you're sure your sound quality and everything is brilliant. Mine's getting better each time, I hope. Uh, you, you, you've definitely a softer voice than me so you're, you're made for it okay so and of course I must mention to you you won uh, the score re recitation yeah I can't pronounce it properly. I'll edit this bit out yeah. you won the score last week for I reciting did. a poem <laughs> recitation I and I have to, and, uh, I, and uh, I heard the debut of it last year I remember you, you said it after the, the county final so it's it's very impressive oh Michael thank you so much yeah you were there for the original oh my god yeah the score is great it's definitely definitely a great thing to participate in if you're feeling like you want to get involved in the GAA but maybe not on the pitch you're, you can sing if you can sing or dance or throw a few lines together for a poem you can you can get involved it's great and they did really well with it virtually this year for the first time and you're from County Down Sophie is it? Down yeah up how, down. when did you come out to America was it 2014 or thereabouts? Yeah, so 2014, I'd came over the summer before on the J1, like everybody else yeah. had, had the time of my life. You know, I was actually waitressed with Johnny Kennedy um, in Annie Moore's right behind oh, yeah. Grand Central. Yeah, well, I was I think I was started out as a hostess there and he was bartending. Um, and that was my first summer. And I, I played a bit of football. I met my fiance, Brian, and lived up in Woodlawn and just loved it. And then went back home. I went to University of Ulster, finished out my degree um, in communications and public relations. And then I got the graduate visa and so made the official move then summer of 2014. Fantastic, fantastic. All right, guys, we'll kick off and today get, get into the meat and potatoes. So does someone want to take the just 
give, give a, a, list, a little historical background of the society and then the building maybe. Sure, Brian, do you want me to give a wee bit about the history? If you'd like, sure. Perfect. So the American Irish Historical Society was founded in 1897 in Boston. Um, The idea behind it was, well, the story goes that it was about 50 Irish men got together in um, a place called the Old Reverie House in Boston. And um, there's there it's online. You can actually read the, the history on the website. But um, the, the premise behind the idea was that uh, historians and researchers at the time had felt either by accident or by design, American historians at times had sort of left out from their records um, the part played by Irish men and Irish families in the history of the early United States. So the, the basis of, of the society was sort of to correct that history and to sort of tell the story correctly and, and build the image and the perception of how integral Irish people were in the formation of the United States. So yeah, that was 1897 and it, you know, got popular very quickly, membership grew. And in 1920, it expanded to New York. Um, And originally the American Irish Historical Society was based in the Waldorf Astoria. And I think it stayed there for maybe 10 or 11 years and then acquired its own building on East 16th Street, um, where it operated as a museum and a library and as the society that people would know sort of of today. Um, But it quickly outgrew that space as well. And then in I think it was 1927, it um, it moved to 991 Fifth Avenue and has been there since. So, you know, that's nearly a century ago now. So that's that's kind of a short history of of why where the society was founded and how it got to New York. Okay, and t- tell us about its significance. What, what's in there, first of all, for people who may not have visited? So what's in the society? Well, it's produ- it's a library and a museum. So um, it's sort of like a, a historian's dream. Anytime any historian has ever gotten into the library, there's a rare book room. There's, you know, there's um, the library contains priceless sort of rare books. They have... Um, first editions of Geoffrey Keaton's History of Ireland. There's a rare set of the annals of the Four Masters. There's, you know, very sort of um, special historical, like, books and records in there. Um, But in terms of what the public would see whenever they go into the society, there's some pretty cool things. You know, there's the first tricolour that was ever risen over the GPO in 1916. There's a framed, it's the original framed uh, tricolour. There's um, an original copy of the um, Proclamation of the Irish Republic. There's uh, Wolf Tone's death mask. There's original reports of the Irish Senate presented by um, De Valera. There's Daniel O'Connell's silver shoe buckles. There's all of these sort of gems that are are on on display. Well, were on display in the society, and you know, there's there's other item, items, you know, that that you, you I probably wouldn't even know that are in there. You know, there's such a vast collection, but um, and there's certainly a, a as, uh, experience if you've ever been in the American Irish Historical Society that you know you're just steeped in this sort of literary cultural landmark that's you feel it as soon as you walk into the doors you know um, and it's it's because it's such a stunning building first of all but sort of how I, I feel the building really represents the the story of the Irish in America um, you know it's this majestic townhouse on Fifth Avenue it's across the road from the Met it has this 
very endearing character. You know, it's um, it almost looks small compared to the big skyscrapers that you see. But it, as I say, it has this really nice character to it. Um, it's a stunning space as well for events, which, you know, I was lucky to, to coordinate many events there. And you'd have, you know, like these sort of literary giants that have walked through the doors and have, you know, contributed to the to the recorder, which was the annual journal of the society that um, for almost, I think, from like, you know, 1897 was came out every month. And there's there's just there's just so much in in the place that probably people wouldn't be aware of for a number of reasons. And we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. But in general, it's 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 kind of hard to put into words just how spectacular a place it, it is, you know. I think uh, in your recent article in the Irish Echo, your your appeal to people, I think you summed it up well. Even the headline appeal to Amer- Irish America's heart and soul, which you also refer to it as the beating heart of Irish America. And I think that's really that really encapsulates what it means to people here and its significance. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, I think that's, and I think everyone has a different experience of it. Um, you know, when I arrived here, I, you know, was a f- you know, fresh off the boat, as as the saying goes. I I always had an interest in sort of Irish history and politics, but I, it's not something I studied. But I, I suppose whenever you start to live here, you see and you get immersed in the history and in the pride, you know. I, I actually felt a bit ashamed when I moved here first that, there were so many Irish Americans that actually knew more about our history than I did. And, you know, they would speak Irish and, and try their best to, you know, you know, really immerse themselves in our culture. And you cannot but admire that pride they have. And you feel pride, proud yourself whenever you, you know, you're one of these people that, you know, you, you look at the generations of people who came here and paved their way for us. And the American Irish Historical Society, to me, it gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. You know, I worked there for four years and it was it was the dream job. You know, I, I learned so much. I met so many people. And my sort of goal there was to make as many, make it as accessible as possible to as many people in the community as possible. Um, and yeah, like it's it's just, I think what is the most important thing about the building is that if you lose, if that building goes, you'll never get to experience Irish America in the way that so many people have and, and feel that pride of walking up Fifth Avenue and seeing this, this building that's so just majestic, as I say, and tells the story even by looking at it. And then you look at the people who've contributed to, to the society. You know, you've had Seamus Heaney in there. You've had, this is in recent times, you know, Mary Magalise has, has you know, done very important things there and, and given really important talks and, and to think that this place is is ours is really special, and it's just it's it's just not even in my mind an option for it to yeah. not be ours anymore, you know. So it's it's been put up for sale for fifty two million, I think. And uh, Brian, you were in there, of course, uh, the last couple of years, and uh, kind of um, I suppose we, we it's safe to say you were maybe thrown out in the end, were you? That the way things kind of materialized there was a bit from the outside from reading in, in the news there was trying to there was people coming in trying to maybe reform the running of the of the society and uh, that was met, met with a bit of resistance in brief yes and to sophie's point um the the argument that's being made or the or the um the excuse that's being made why this very important asset to the irish in america the, the, as Sophie said before, um, to make sure that the uh, Irish story, which was um, 
extraordinarily, even as many Irish people who came here through the years, um, starting with starting even prior to the famine, but all the way through the years up to and including now, they made incredible contributions to this country and the development of this country. And in addition to that, they made contributions to all aspects and across all other ethnicities. They were essential in the, in the beginning of the labor movement, in healthcare, in education. And they had a, despite the so many people uh, of Irish extraction, 40 million in this country alone, one of the largest ethnic groups, uh, single ethnic groups in this country, um, their, their contributions even were, were greater than, than those numbers would indicate. And it was something, and frankly, something that, that we can show as a success story to other struggling immigrant groups that we were maligned and we were not included in that story. And as Sophie so eloquently put, that, that was the, the, the genesis of the society, non-sect, non-sectarian. Um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, of all people, uh, was, was one of the founders and very proud of that, of that uh, strain of Irish um, blood in his veins, and the 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 uh, mission of the society is to continue that. And the slogan of the society is that the world should know. Uh, and the only way that the world can know, and thank you for your good offices in this, and we'll continue this campaign, is that they see that they have a vested interest in this building um, and its collection. Uh, I always had the view shared by Sophie and others uh, who would be supportive of our attempts to bring the society uh, to open the doors and bring it uh, back to the people um, whom, it, whom it claimed to be representing, um, is that we hold, that building holds a special, um, a special place in the hearts of people, people who had never even been in there people who had been excluded, but at least they could say, you know, there's something that stands for all of us in one of the most grandest places in the world. In addition to that, it wasn't too long ago that the only Irish person that would get into a building like that in the city of New York would be what they would call a bridey, would be an Irish working woman who'd be in there um, sweeping the place out or mopping the place out. Now we have an edifice like that representing all of us and the struggle that we made, and as a symbol to all people who come here and struggle and how they can succeed. Um, as I said, that the world should know is the slogan of the, of the organization, and that's what we, want, we wanted to do. Um, and to a great degree, that had been done. I don't want to take away from, from the mission as it had been done in the past. It just started getting ossified. The, the, the society itself began to be known as elitist and exclusionary. But we were sure there'd be a breath of fresh air and that our efforts to open it up would, um, would be uh, well received by um, uh, the, the board and the controlling interest, the very, very small controlling interest of that organization. What happened, the, the, the reason being claimed now that they need to sell this building is that um, and once again, I need to be a bit circumspect and judicious in how I, because of the potential for litigation and the fact that all of this is subject to inquiry. Um, and, and then we'll get to what we're looking to get uh, to achieve by mobilizing the people. Is that uh, the COVID environment has basically shut down fundraising opportunities. Uh, and this, I believe, is demonstrably false. COVID has created a tremendous, tremendous challenge 
to institutions and organizations to raise money. Yet people have responded and donated money. In a very, very um, telling example of the society or what was left of the society in the spring of 2020, they tried to get a GoFundMe going where their goal was $100,000. They raised merely $2,000, and that was from internal sources. Um, at the same time, and not to say that we did it better, but just as an example, Sophie and I organized a group called The Metal, which was to support healthcare workers as the COVID, can, uh, the COVID pandemic that got very, very severe and, and protective equipment we ran out of. Um, so we were able to supply that. But in a very short period of time, from primarily the Irish community and our allies, we raised a significant amount of money that went every single cent to, to supporting healthcare workers. So the, the will to support and the will to fund is not lost and it's not gone. Other organizations have you know, they had virtual um, um, events that go on. They, what they did was they, they pivoted because they weren't, they weren't chained to an old way of thinking. They pivoted and met the challenge by modern ways, Zooms and, and such like that, and they continue the revenue streams. The reality is that the idea to sell this building um, is not something new. It, was, it, it had been suggested to me six years ago, and I, I would have nothing to do. I, I, I think that the American Irish Historical Society, even for this uh, sale to go through, and be relocated somewhere else aside from that that place I used to refer to during the parade. There were there were the, the, the bookends of of um, uh, Irish success or Irish achievement. We built that cathedral down on Fifth Avenue, that huge, beautiful cathedral, and then we also had this up at the upper end of the parade route. And those were the two bookends. Were, people used to mock the parade by passing the cathedral and then ending it by passing the society with the tricolor flying along with the stars and stripes. And I, I just don't see how that symbolic and, and, and that compelling um, uh, reaching out to the people passing could, could be accomplished anywhere else in the city. I think that the society itself will, will, could putter on as much as they like. But with that building, the, the, the American Irish Historical Society, if that building were disposed of, for all intents and purposes, the society would be as well. We know that, that we don't have to, that, that that doesn't have to be the case. Um, but prior to uh, the, the uh, move to dismiss those people who were looking at, for, at, a, at a progressive path and a transition to the future for the society, we, we organized the most successful dinner that they had had in years, only months before these moves were made. We, we with the, by hiring a very accomplished and experienced developer, uh, a, a director of business and development, developed uh, the, a alternate revenue streams and a focus on being able to, to uh, realize a new, re, uh, to, to accomplish a new reality in funding for the society. Um, we were getting great response, a, lot, a, lot, a large part of that due to Sophie's efforts and our joint efforts in making the, the society more acceptable to individuals and to organizations. Um, and the work of the society continued. Uh, um, as, as Sophie mentioned, Seamus Heaney and many, many, many of great renown were there for events, but also downstairs, many academics, many, many people who, who inform, um, who have written incredibly important books 
Um, they did their research there. And we need to be concerned not only about the building itself, but that the collection and the archives and all of those things that our, our view is not the proprietary interest of the society, not the personal property of those who run that society, but that everything there, whether it be the, um, the, the Clan of Gale letters and the, the, um, the organizational, so much of what was done for the planning stages of the rising in 1916 are there. They're living there and they're brought out on occasion and they're there for study. But they're held in trust, all of those things. Wolf Tone's death mask, they don't belong to individuals or even to a group. They're held in trust by an organization like this. They're held in trust for the Irish people throughout the world. And it's good that throughout the world, it's very, very important. And we're very appreciative that the Irish government um, realized, despite their, their investments trying to help through the years, they realized that, you know, no, this, this is a non-starter. And they came out strongly opposed to the sale of this building. Without that building there and all it represents, um, then the, one of the few striking, easily referenced icons of the American experience, the Irish experience in America and Irish success in America will be gone, will be gone. Now, the good side of that, uh, not, the good, not that there's a good side, but the reality of that is we're, we're dealing with a campaign now uh, to um, enlist the assistance of the New York State Attorney General. Will you just, will you just tell us yeah. why it, it's, it's been in trouble the last couple of years pre-COVID? Will you t- just give us, explain why it's been in trouble and what the society is trying to achieve now by selling it? And okay. What's the plan? Well, that, I, I'm sorry if I took the long way around. The bottom line is it... it, it <laughs> We, we actually were on the path. There were difficulties in, um, in fundraising, but we were actually on the rise once we redirected it and we started developing new revenue streams. Been in trouble. I mean, every, every organization needs to fund it. One of the reasons that funding kind of dried up for the society, and I, this is what I've been personally told by many people who are still supportive, of the mission as stated and are and do regularly uh, contribute to other Irish organizations is that they wouldn't be interested in supporting the organization unless they were sure that their financial support was going indeed to the mission. So people got a little put off by the idea of being excluded and really not having any, any understanding of how that, how their donations would benefit the stated mission of the society. We started changing that. Um, the, the, the last couple of years, um, actually, there was an increase. We were, we were working our way out of there. Um, I think that the retrenched powers there saw that as a threat to their ultimate control. And so even though, for instance, we'll remove ourselves, uh, Sophie and I and the others, who, and we'll take, an, take a look at um, just one, one initiative that we, in the last couple of years, as you say, that was of great benefit to the society, both in raising our brand, letting people realize that we were important, not as a dusty repository of, of old archives, but that we were culturally alive, that we truly were the beating heart of Irish America. And that was the, the, the wonderfully received and, and critically reviewed uh, uh, Jean uh, Hanth Carlitz's production 
of the dead, uh, based on James Joyce, which is around Christmas time. And the society um, uh, received a significant amount of money from that production. That was met with some resentment because it did entail um, the, 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 uh, the production impeding on the, on the day-to-day operations and the comfort level of some who were in there who saw it as their, their townhouse on Fifth Avenue. So, so that was met with resistance despite the demonstrable, um, um, the demonstrable success of that production and the financial benefits that the society reaped from it. And as other revenue, revenue streams were developed, that met with resistance rather than welcoming as a way to save it. So I think that it's untrue um, that the the financial that there is a financial necessity to sell this building it's simply demonstrably false. There are other issues that frankly I can't go into detail with you about because they are the subject of of, of an existing attorney general inquiry. What we seek to to have by 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 um, uh, by letting everybody know our concerns and our our and and by the wonderful reaction of uh, thousands of people in saying, no, we don't want that building sold. So it, 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 it means that much to us, whether we were in there or not. Many of the comments uh, are, are point out the fact that they felt excluded, but they, they look forward to a better future there. They don't want it gone. And um, the reason that there is some, some uh, public noise about the attorney general being contacted was that the attorney general, who already is looking into, into areas of governance and finance and um, in many other areas about the operation of the society and have been doing so diligently for quite a while, um, they're the ones who, under, under law, um, have um, responsibility for the management of 501c3s, uh, those type of corporations, of which the society is one. The society is not known or owned by an individual or by a group of individuals. It is a 501c3, and therefore it is under the jurisdiction of the attorney general. They are looking into it, this pre- and, and there can be no sale unless the attorney general approves of the sale going forward. So it's not just a matter of listing the building, okay. getting a buyer, and signing, signing the contract. And was it requires... Was yeah. your ousting a couple of years ago... I don't know if you can say it, but there was a couple of people ousted from the society. Was that was that maybe the status quo um, resisting some of the changes you were implementing? Mm. I would say um, that yes. Um, I, I I would say that it it it, it clearly defined. Um, um, the 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 uh, the group of us who were looking to get some some better management and to and to develop better revenue streams and to get a business plan in in place. It was when that business ban was put in place that we were met with total resistance and the move to oust us. So I'll leave it to other people to draw those conclusions. Okay. Uh, to the extent I can talk about it, I, I would say that yeah, that might have been the defining moment, but it's also the defining moment that at that at that point. Uh, pretty much nothing was going on in the, in the building or with that society since since the people, Sophie included, Sophie is essentially on the ground were, were ousted and that good work ceased being done. 
And are there people getting paid? Are people in the society you now getting full getting paid in full time roles there at the moment? Or how how, how does it well, work? Well, well, they it, it would be hard to say since I wasn't getting the financial reports while I was there. I certainly haven't gotten any since I've been gone. So. Okay. So okay, I so so what? Just uh, tell us now what's the society's um, what's their plan for? They want to sell. They want to sell the building. What, okay, what my is understanding. Their plan? Okay, Mick, I, and I'm sorry. I know you would request that for. I can't speak for the controlling interests of the society now. What I can say is that the um, in, in at the height when I was the chair, there were over 20 people who were on the board. Since all of this started started developing, the so-called board has shrunk into a very, very small number of people, less than half of that, as as board members fled fled the board with all of the the conflict that's going on. Um, My understanding of the plan to sell the building I can I can only believe is what I was told six years ago. So they plan to sell it now, saying that COVID is forcing this, but they had planned to do it six years ago. And that plan was Fifth Avenue is irrelevant to them. They don't see the and, and therefore let's sell the building. We'll buy another building elsewhere in a less obvious or less um, um, significant place. And then we'll take the rest of the money and we'll put that in a, in a trust. Uh, for the society to work off of in the future. That um, is a uh, that is a plan. Um, it was met with resistance by everybody at the time. Uh, well, not everybody. I mean, the people who proposed it, of course, would still be proponents of it. But it, met, it was met with resistance and it was a non-starter, particularly as, as things started to improve there. Um, and, and also the, the, the question remains it would still be problematic because all that that building in and of itself symbolizes. But if there, if there are concerns about the, um, about the funding actually going truly to the mission um, and making sure that that is, that that is monitored and, and maintained, um, that that would also be something that people would be very, very um, leery of being supportive of unless they could be sure that that indeed was was what was going to be done. And is the sale subject on the approval of the Attorney General? Uh, absolutely. Not only the sale, the operations of the board, um, the the uh, issues of tax filings and issues of finance. Um, the the and all of these ha- are being looked at and have been, as I said, being looked at by by the Attorney General and have been for a significant amount of time. The issue now about about particularly the public appeal is to ask the attorney general, the honorable Letitia James, uh, who, whose, whose, whose office is, is doing their job um, to please look at this. The dynamic has changed since this precipitous um, and sudden uh, announcement that they listed the building for sale that got the attention of the Doyle, got the attention of, of Irish in America throughout the country. I mean, I know that this is being discussed elsewhere in this country, um, as well as in Albany and in uh, New York City and and elsewhere, um, that that because they took that sudden uh, step that there's no walking back from. If they dispose of this asset of the society, there's no getting it back. That the attorney general recognized that the dynamic has changed and that the methodical and laborious and painstaking work that they're doing 
that it be ramped up to meet this level of threat to the organization. Okay, and the Irish Foreign Minister Simon Coven, he said in the die last week, he said it was deeply disapp- a de- deeply disappointing development. So the Irish government are involved, and because I think they've they've uh, contributed about a million dollars between two thousand and eight and two thousand and eighteen, so um, they, they they have a voice in it. So that's kind of a ramped up the the story at home at home, as we say. Um, so we tell me, your your Brian yourself and Sophie, I think you was a both of you put together the petition. Yes, we did, but yeah. Sophie has been carrying the ball on that primarily, and yeah. what uh, we we collaborated on writing the petition itself, but um, the the actual um, posting of it with the letter that, uh, as you know, was in that that was what got everybody's attention. Yeah. So there are people who are well aware, and they will would have been on board with us, but I think it was that compelling appeal from Sophie that really got people to be energized about what it was and how it meant so much more than just the society itself. And I just, want to, say, I just, I just want to say in between from working in the news industry, the Irish Echo and the Irish Voice and Irish Central have been keeping, keeping people atop of what's going on. So I just, anyone who wants to, to follow it, go out, buy a paper. It's tough for everyone at the moment, but uh, it's great that it's been get, getting coverage here in New York and it's up on the websites. Um, so just keep an eye there. But uh, Sophie, you really, really, I have to say all credit to you. You really shone a line on it. And uh, when you post it on your uh, Instagram, your social pages, and of course, you put a big appeal up, uh, an article in the Irish Echo, which was very, very well written and just got tremendous feedback. And the petition I just, just checked, uh, it's nearly at 6,000 signatures. Wow. So just um, t- tell us the reaction and um, t- yeah. tell us how all that went for you. Yeah, so, well, just to weigh in just on what you were asking there, Michael, about the operational issues of the American Irish Historical Society, because this is something I've been asked a number of times since launching the petition. And, and thank you for asking us onto the podcast, because I think this is the best way for us to sort of shine a light on what was Irish America's best kept secret really for a long time and and from my point of view and as as I say I've said to you and I've said in that article it was such a labor of love when I worked in that building but it didn't come without its challenges so your your question on what the issues were with you know operations over the last few years is a really good one because previously I'm talking maybe 20 30 years ago philanthropy was such a different ball game in a city like New York. People gave money to charities and nonprofits all the time. And, you know, that you would have one big gala per year. That would be a huge success. You'd be, you know, your operational um, costs were covered for the following year, maybe even for longer than that. And there was no questions asked, right? But I feel like since that sort of trend has changed and and fundraising is a different, a whole different you know, ball game now, people also want to see the bang for their buck. They want to see if they're putting money into uh, an institution or into an organization, they want to see the the sort of growth and, and the things that come from that donation they've given. So like a lot of kind of um, cultural organizations, the, the society itself kind of struggled with that change, you know, sort of come into the end of the 90s and uh, 90s and into like the early 2000s and their their big galas weren't bringing in the same money as they would have. So that's where an organization needs to go back to the drawing board. And, and you see these amazing sort of, um, you know, comp- or organizations like the American Ireland Fund and the Irish Arts Center, they have huge business development 
people and teams and you know they have plans strategic plans that that take a long time to you know to you know implement implement and to carry through but they have long term you know it makes something sustainable so what I noticed basically whenever I started in the society and I you know would have been around at all the Irish American events is people would say oh you work up in that society sure that place is never open that dusty old place you know it's it's so gorgeous on the outside but no one ever can seem to get in so immediately I noticed that there was an issue with accessibility people didn't feel welcome there they felt like it was a really private club um which it probably was for a while you know that it was and it maintained itself just fine like that you know and it had its odd you know every few months might have had you know researchers in or had an event and that was that sustained it but so then whenever i sort of took on the role as events marketing coordinator I started with grass, grassroots events and and my aim was to open the doors let people in make the membership more affordable make events you know really you know varied and have all sorts of different things going on and it was incredible for a while you know there was something on every night of the week there was all sorts of educational events there was you know we had comedy nights we had we collaborated with Crackfest. we had Irish artists we had Dermot Kennedy we had just some phenomenal days and evenings in the place and, you know, it, it did seem to really be thriving and, and it was really just people were excited to get there. We had a great success in the city membership, you know, young professionals. But but then when you draw back and it's probably something I struggled to kind of figure out at the time. But when whenever, you know, a nonprofit or an organization is thriving in that side of things and the events are, are well attended and they're popular, that's when the sort of strategic planning needs to come into place. And that's when you need to have a, a long plan, you know, a long game, a business development. So there was a few issues there. There was not enough money to, to continue to program events like this, unless you had fundraisers and you had people given money or you had the government given money, but people for 10 to 20 years had, had said, anytime I've given money to that place, I haven't seen it go to good use and so you know and that's just me being really honest about it you know and a lot of organizations have this struggle so whenever you know just from my perspective whenever I thought that the board in charge there should have really embraced this change and this moment where people were really getting in and getting you know invested in the place and really start to and people did come in we had an amazing business development manager we had people like Brian and others on the board who were so excited to get this the society you know get it up to where it should be and as active and as open as possible but there was a pushback on that and you know when you look at it in a bigger push in the bigger picture change in any aspect of life in your in a for a business or your personal life it and change and growth requires some sort of hard work and it requires uncomfortable change and it requires new ideas and unless you have a have a group of people who are really willing to allow change to happen and to embrace it you're never you know a, a place is never going to thrive so to answer your question I just I just thought like that's that's the way I look at it and unfortunately there's so many people in the community who would love to see the place reach its full potential so essentially this isn't just this issue and the petition if you read the text of the petition it's not just about a building it's about the governance of that building it's about the items the important items in the building and it's about a change in more than just 
you know, it's not just about having it so it can go back to what it was. It's about a new sort of society and a new, and without that building, unfortunately, I feel like all of that hard work that has been done, not just by me, by centuries and, and generations of Irish Americans is just going to go to waste. Okay. And just, uh, so you, you, thanks for that. You really, you really complimented what, or complimented what Brian just said there. So, so very well said. So just go through the, the petition is up on change.org. As I said, there's nearly 6,000 signatures and, uh, you also put a wrote a very appealing letter um, article in the Irish Echo. So, what's been the, the reaction to that? And I think that really, like, there was I, I had been reading about it, but I think it really put it on the map in the general sense of Irish Americans here that people really took notice when they saw the petition yeah. and the accompanying um, article in the Irish Echo. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, it's actually a time where, you know, the last year has been a struggle for everybody. And you know, especially if you're living in America, there's been so many conflicting conversations and, you know, big sort of, you know, just big, important issues that have happened. And I feel like, and, you know, I feel like as immigrants in this country, people are really identifying with their heritage. And it's funny, I was on the phone to somebody at the Irish consulate, I had to renew my passport, and they said they had never had so many applications for Irish passports by Irish Americans as they have in the last six month period. And they were, they had to like get more because so many people have, you know, you know, it's just so important that I think, you know, people are really feel like it's important to identify with, with who they are and the values of, of their, of their culture. So I guess it's all, it's a good time to appeal to people to support something that they believe will, you know, help future generations of Irish America. And the feedback has been, you know, amazing. I think a lot of people have wanted to see this for a long time. And, you know, you'd be at all these, you know, events around the city in the past couple of years. And, and I would often hear people say, you know, that place, it has such potential, and it's such an important, you know, heirloom, it's an important dedication to the story, but, but it'll never change unless a big movement happens. And, and I think people have been waiting for this. I think people in all different areas of the community have hoped that this would happen. And this now, that's why it's really gaining steam and, and there's momentum behind it because it's, it's kind of like, you know what, if we don't, if we don't try, we'll never succeed. And I never thought that we would get 6,000, you know, almost 6,000 signatures in just over a week. And as Brian always reminds me, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you know, even just even the people I've had over from Ireland, musicians and and stuff who have read about it online, they're like in touch with me being like, what can we do to stop this? Like, this is such a disgrace. It's such a sad thing that would happen. Like, how could this ever happen? So people are really, you know, people are asking me, how can we help? Can we donate money? All I can ask is that you share it far and wide and you ask anybody who has a drop of Irishness in their blood to sign this because as well, if you're ever coming back to New York, you know, you can visit this place and it's open. You know, I, I really, I really pushed that when I worked there to have two public tours a day so people could come in and see it because before that, like nobody would come in, you know, and it's so, yeah. I could talk about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put uh, we, we'll, we'll put, I'll put the links up on uh, on our social feed uh, accompanying to this podcast as well and your uh, your article and I'll, I'll put the link to change.org but they can also find it on your social what's your Instagram handle uh, Sophie? My Instagram handle is oh, I should know that. I think it's Sophie at Sophie Colgan 1. 
Um, and then I'm at, at Navigating New York. Yeah, at Sophie Colgan One is my Instagram handle. Are you on the gram, Brian? <laughs> he is actually, and on Twitter. He never uses yeah. it though. <laughs> okay, yeah. perfect. So, I, uh, so uh, the pen. Just writing. So, you, so obviously, right, where, right, where right. we're at now is um, there's obviously tremendous, like the, the Irish American um, community has kind of rallied behind the petition now. So, we're going into this week here now, Brian. Brian, you said there, there could be some uh, movement this week. So, where does where does everything stand now at the moment? Well, as Sophie said, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, Anytime you're in a campaign, and the stakes are are very large, and we have always been transparent. We've been open. Um, I I, I don't know, and I can't speak, of course, uh, for the interests who are looking to dispose of what what they're listing at $52 million. Others would say it would be valued even more than that. Um, But it is something that needs to be sustained. One of the issues that any investigative group or anybody who is responsible for governance is going to look at is whether or not this is a spat between opposing uh, small, small interests of a board or former members or something. And this gives us the opportunity to have a sustained campaign, um, particularly at a time of year that um, uh, in many that much focus is on the Irish. So we're going into March, it's, it's Irish Heritage Month, it's St. Patrick's Day and all, that now it just seems that the stars are aligning and this is an opportunity. Um, I think that it was bad uh, tactics uh, or, or bad strategy to announce, uh, to, just, to just suddenly announce the sale. It, it immediately mobilized people who were always wondering what's going on, what's going to happen. But there was no nothing organized. And now a sustained campaign is occurring. So with the, with the, um, the petition, there's also so much more going on um, that uh, is very important to, to, um, to the uh, pursuit of this cause. And this week, uh, in addition to, and this is not an elitist um, thing. In fact, what we have been trying to do is to kind of break that idea and to really open it up to people who uh, need to study or or have an affinity, who are Irish, American Irish, or who have an affinity for the Irish or just allies of fellow travelers. So what I would say is, look look every every week um, as this continues until there is some resolution. Um, and we'll be at it every single week. Uh, this this week coming, there will be um, a uh, another a, a public document, a, a an open letter um, that will be in the press, be in the Irish press initially. Uh, it, it of course will be shared uh, with the Attorney General at the same time, because that letter will be uh, to the Attorney General, and it's non-recriminatory. It doesn't accuse anybody of anything. It does point to a small group trying to dispose of this building, but it speaks to the importance of the building to everybody. And it's, it'll be signed by uh, about 40 or so um, uh, people who would have some recognized stature in our community, whether it be in the creative and cultural arts, academics. And that's something that's forgotten how important this, this organization is to, to the, to, that the world should know that academics can go to this resource on Fifth Avenue across the street from one of the primary institutions of the globe 
celebrating human culture through the years. The Metropolitan Museum, there's, 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 there are artifacts there from ancient Egypt and even before. And directly across the street, we have our own little, little um, building that has the same, but it's the same idea that we're holding that in trust for, 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 for the Irish. And so now those academics, those people who are um, in leadership roles in Irish organizations, um, those people who would be recognized as writers, as creative folk, they're, gonna, they're signing a letter as well that are also going to, ask, to, to request Tish James to say, look, um, now's the time to really, really go all in on this. Um, we've been doing our due diligence. We've been doing our job. I have, they have nothing to be ashamed of, the attorney general. But now, because the, because the interests trying to sell a building have raised the stakes, suddenly that there needs to be to go all in. And we have people who are in leadership or respected positions in our community. That's not to say that they're any better than the 6,000 and growing people who've lent their name. Some of them have done that as well. But it kind of focuses it in a different way that these people in leadership roles also want to say, look, this is not a small spat between opposing, opposing sides on a board. This is about a small group who wants to dispose of a very important icon to our people. And we as leaders and thousands of people supporting the effort to stop that, to, to preserve that collection and to get good governance of that institution. Yeah, has the, has the, that's, what I, that's a question I was going to ask you. So if people were successful in stopping the, the sale, there's also the question then of the internal governance of the, of the organization that will there, will there be change ultimately if it, if, it, if it is stopped? That will be the next phase of a kind of a, of a restructuring maybe or, a, or fixing the problem. Well, I, I would think so. I think that the general view throughout the, uh, the, the community is that new governance, and that's not to exclude everybody, that's to include everybody. Uh, a, you know, I, I have my own vision of what a future board would be, and it would be uh, very, very simple. I mean, and there would be people who might have different opinions. We'll all get, get but, but it, there, there does need to be a new understanding of, of the society. The, the first thing we have to do, it's just like in any emergency. If you're treating somebody who is hurt, you stop the bleed, you know, okay. then you get to then you get to healing. So that's what we're looking to do. We stop that sale, and then it, it, it does require the attorney general to engage. They don't engage with just stop, stopping the sale. Then they'll start looking into all of those nuanced issues and doing all of that and, and, and about board governance. Uh, I think that Sophie would probably agree with me. She might have her own ideas as well. In fact, she has all her own ideas. It's just I'm lucky when she does agree. But um, <laughs> what I would see, what I, what I would like to see, um, is that, the, and I think that this is just good governance in general, is that the stranglehold of small of a small interested group controlling something of such dire importance to, to the global Irish, that um, there be a board that would have those people who have uh, both the business acumen, the financial resources, say a third of the board would be comprised of those people who would need to be totally focused on that revenue stream, on funding, on philanthropy, on getting that in, whether they're wealthy and, and are, are supportive themselves or they're involved in those, those uh, finance trades that would be able to continue that. And then I would also see another roughly third of the board be comprised of those creative people and academic people so that they're not only on the shelves, but they're actually helping define 
programming and the role of the society and it's what it really is living and and growing we're talking about a next generation and that would bring it to my, my, the, the the last third of what i would see to be a truly functional and representative board would be i would like to be rather than the youngest person sitting at a board table if i were to ever get back on the board i would rather be the oldest person if i were there at all and that we do need to get younger people engaged, professional people who we can, who, the, who ultimately the torch can be passed to so that this 120 some odd a year organization continues for the next 120 years and beyond that as well. Mm. And that would be my view of a, of a, of a restructured board uh, dedicated to the mission of the society and, and what, we're, what our goal is going forward. So, so where is the attorney general right now uh, at this venture at this point in time well it's valentine's day so i I hope she's having a good time with those who love her um i i I can't speak for the attorney general but what i I mean is did did the society when they announced that they were sending it did they have to notify the ag straight away and then does what what um inquiries what what uh boxes does she have to tick to okay the sale Okay, the, the law the law is um, that the attorney general's office has to approve of a sale. But since the the uh, since the the issues that have been raised over the le- uh, since uh, the summer of 2019 um, uh, already uh, have the full attention of the attorney general's office, that it is the subject of inquiry. It wasn't a surprise. Certainly wasn't a surprise to me. So um, they did not. They are not required by law to notify the attorney general. Okay. But the moment, the, the, the moment, or the the afternoon that they made, uh, they 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 made their press release, or they issued their press release on the morning um, of a Wednesday uh, by one o'clock in the afternoon of that Wednesday, the attorney general was fully aware. Um, and uh, any any anything going forward, the attorney general would need to be notified. But I, I can say with confidence um, and without betraying confidence, because I, I, I don't have any, but knowing pretty much how these things work, I, I could say that um, I, I, I know this has the attention of the attorney general. Um, okay. I, there, there was a letter that went out uh, directly to the attorney general um, from former board members recently. Um, bringing these this issue to their attention. So it's, you know, they, they are aware and they will take the appropriate steps um the inquiry is continuing and our petition and our uh, other letters and the other the other what's coming a week beyond that as well will all bring will all be just to help the attorney general focus on it um and as i said we have been the our side has been fully cooperative fully transparent and anything that they've requested from us to provide we have provided in good faith and I have good faith that the attorney general will ultimately do what they are entitled and, and uh, mandated or uh, permitted by law to do to bring relief to the Irish community. And when you say that they've been looking into it since 2019, uh, uh, inquiring into it, is, is it, is the society under investigation by the attorney general or just to be precise? I, I, I would be careful in how I pass, okay. you know, the, the words. They're just aware I, of I they, they've been They've been notified of what happened in 2019. I, I do know because I have, I have been required to, um, as I said, be transparent and assist okay. that there is an inquiry going on. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, there, there are different stages of investigation, different, sta- different stages as these things develop. 
I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't presume to know where it stands in the AG's office, except I can say that I have been in touch with the attorney generals, that there is an inquiry going on. Okay. They do have, and, and actually you can get them and others can. Uh, there, there are public documents, tax filings, and such that they're going over with a fine sheet. Okay, perfect. So we'll, we'll almost finish up there. So, Sophie, I just wanted to just going on to the governance. You'd obviously like you'd be of the view of Brian that you want to stop the sale and then maybe implement some sort of change to the running of the society. I, from reading, I haven't asked you this, but I, I would presume that you would like to get back involved again in, in some form. You were, from reading your your yeah. articles, you like you really have have a connection with the place. So, like, what would your yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if obviously it would, it depends on what you'd be going back to, I suppose. And yeah, honestly, if I had the opportunity to go back, I would never go back under the circumstances in which I left. Um, okay. But I mean, if it was, as Brian has said, a new society and the society that so many people want to see, like, and to answer your question uh, as well about, you know, that is the big part of the petition is it's not just about stopping the sale it's about new governance and and some of the feedback i've gotten which has just been so encouraging is that there have been irish americans waiting in the wings waiting for this day to come where they could actually have their voices heard and and sort of you know just not allow something not allow the group that have been in charge of this place to get away with with the things they've gotten away with um and there's people, powerful people who've, you know, if you went through the list of people who've been presidents, have been chair people, have been on the board, some of the most powerful people in Irish America who have been ousted by this group because they were trying to implement good change and, and progressive change. And those people are, you know, powerful in many ways. And, and I mean, if the seal was stopped, I think, you know, it, there would just be a no, it would be a no brainer. You know, I don't think there would be any avenues left to go down for them to continue operating under any, you know, under how they have been for the last few years. And I, and I, I just say that frankly, because you know, for many years, I danced around the issue and I had the and I always have the the best interests of the mission of the society. And I've met some of the greatest people and, and mentors who are still involved, you know, and and I just know that 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 this if, if you're if the Irish community comes together like I know they can and they have been doing, you know, you just can't sort of ignore that community. I think. Okay. Yeah, it's a huge issue. And uh, thank, thanks to you both for coming on. And I hope that you come on again and give us some updates because uh, there'll be plenty of moving parts uh, in the next coming weeks, coming months. So uh, thanks a million for your time. Oh, Michael, thanks a million. Great stuff. Really enjoyed it. And that's all for this week. Let us know what you think by leaving us a comment on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Long Haul Podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest developments on the potential sale through the Irish Echo, the Irish Voice, irishcentral.com and of course through Sophie's Instagram page at sophiecolgan1. Sophie's new podcast, Navigating New York, is out now and is available on all major streaming platforms while Brian can be found on his Facebook page. You can check out all of our previous podcasts on thelonghaulpodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast. This will ensure that we can get more podcasts to you more often. Oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? And when we got inside the house, the drinks were passed around. The liquor was so awful strong, my head went wrong.